feel like after that intro, I, I like I feel like I should be like, how you all doing? Yeah, you know, that type of thing. But I won't do that this morning. I guess I just did, didn't I? Um, good to be with you uh, this morning. And one of the things I brought with me was a, uh, a calendar. I, I wanted to bring my one from home so it had like all the dates and stuff. But it's one of those that has a pocket underneath it at home. And it's stuffed with um, tons of things that if I tried to move it off our wall, they would fall all over the place. And when Jamie woke up this morning after I left, she'd be calling me, asking me what I did to her neatly stacked things in there. But anyways, calendars, dates. Have you ever had a time where, where you know, you start to think back and, and you look at dates, you look at, at days, and you're like, man, I wish I could go back to that. I, I know my kids and, and, and myself, you know, man, I wish we could go back to our vacation um, to Georgia. It, it was just a, a great vacation, just a good time, family, we barely ever fought, um, just a, a good time away, um, just an enjoyable vacation. You know, you're like, I wish I could be back there. Or maybe there's certain things that you remember in your life that you're, man, I, I wish I could just go back to that time. You know, or, you know, a, a little more serious, maybe, maybe you're, man, I, I wish I could go back a couple of years when our finances were better. Or, man, I wish I could, you know, live in, in that time again. You know, and, and we wish that, but, but in the same hand, eh, you know, not really, because then we would miss all the stuff that has happened in between, even though it's hard. Like there's times, man, my, my daughter is going to be in high school next year. I wish she could go back to where she was just learning how to walk, um, that I don't have to worry about all of the issues she's going to be facing in high school. But then I would miss all of that other, that has happened, the exciting things that have happened in there. Or, or, or maybe you're like, man, you know, in, in my walk with God, I wish I could go back to four years ago. Because that's where I felt really, really close to him. You know, or I wish I could go back to, you know, this conference or this seminar I went to because that's where I just felt close to God. And, it, and it's not there anymore. And, and you want to be back there and you should have that closeness with God again. But yet at the same time, you need to be here and now. And, and that's the challenge this morning as we get into this first letter to the, to the church in Ephesus. That's their challenge that Jesus is going to, to give them. And, and that he's going to look at them and say, you know, here's where you're at, but, but here's some of the things that you need to get back to. And we're going to look at that this morning. Um, a few reminders, if you weren't here last week, Pastor Mark opened up, um, did an intro to the series that we're doing called Dear Church, and we're going to go through um, the letters to the seven churches in the beginning of the book of Revelation. And, and just a few things to, to just remind you of and, and to set where, where we're at. Um, John is the author of, of these books. Um, he's the one who wrote it down, but um, to these letters, it's specifically Jesus saying, here's what I want you to write. Um, that it's Jesus' words in this. And uh, as John penned this, uh, a reminder too, um, that, that uh, when he wrote this, it was all in one thing. There wasn't separate letters to each church that he you know, individually mailed off to, uh, to these cities because there wasn't a postal system like that. Someone took these. And, and so, you know, as, as they went through each city, 
each city got to read the letters to all of the churches. So it wasn't like Ephesus just read Ephesus. It wasn't like, you know, the next church just read. They got to see what Jesus said to everybody so they could take, you know what, um, yes, this is what Christ is saying specifically to our church, but man, we also, here's what he's saying to these other churches, we need to be on guard or maybe we need to be doing what this church is doing. So they were able to hear all of that as, as well. And this starts off in Ephesians, or Ephesians, Revelations chapter 2, verse 1. says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Again, just a reminder of, of the imagery. The seven golden lampstands represent the churches. And, and, and Jesus is there, and like Pastor Mark said last week, it's a reminder that his presence is here. His presence is amongst the churches. And he's reminding Ephesus, you know, my presence is there with you. And now can you go ahead and go to, to the map? Um, a few things about Ephesus, just so you know, so you can put in perspective. Um, basically, this was considered the leading city of the Roman Empire. The Roman governor lived there. The three great highways at that time connected there, one from the north, from the south, from the east. That's where they all came together. So there was a lot of activity, a lot of things going on in Ephesus. It was probably the largest city out of those cities that are, are listed there on, on the, the churches that we're going to look at. And the other big thing that Ephesus had was that there was a strong worship of the goddess Artemis, or Romans sometimes called her Diana. And there was a, a very, very strong cult-like worship there. Um, they had priests, priestesses. They actually, at their temple, had a huge statue to Artemis, this was considered one of the wonders of the ancient world. So there was a lot of that, that cult, a lot of magic, that kind of stuff going on in the city. And, and this is where the church of Ephesus is, is at. Um, probably the reasons that this is the first church listed to, one, geographically, it's probably the first one that the courier who brought the letters came from the island. He's at Ephesus. So this is going to be our starting point, but also since it was uh, the largest city. And it was probably one of the larger churches that existed right then. Uh, a little bit history on the church. If you read in Acts, this church was founded by Aquila and Priscilla. And also Paul spent quite a bit of time there teaching and preaching to this church. So that's where we're at with, with the church of Ephesus and a little bit of history. And as the story con continues, as this letter continues in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2, here's what Jesus starts to say. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Basically, he's saying, you're doing a lot of great things for me. A lot of great programs, a lot of great ministries. It's kind of like they could be considered the, the flagship church of that time. Back then, if they had teams that would go to any church to see how things were being done, they would probably send them to Ephesus. You know how nowadays we look to different churches and we're going to send some people there to see how they do this. At this time, you know, we're going to send them to Ephesus because they're doing great works, their deeds, their perseverance. They have some great ministries running. Let's see how they're getting it done. He was on to say this as well in Verse 2 and also verse 6, he says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. 
And also in verse 6 he says, But you have this in your favor, you hate the practice of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So he was saying to them, too, you've done great things. Your deeds are great. Also, your doctrine is very, very sound. What you're preaching is sound. You're able to discern what is true, what is false. That is very, very sound. And I commend you for that. That you have that going for you. And he also goes on to say that, he commends that they hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which he also hates. We really don't know much about that. Um, as far as in, in the research, what, what I could uncover is, is they had a lot to do with just what was going on with the temple, um, with Artemis, with, with those kind of things. And they steered clear of those practices and didn't allow any of that to seep into their church. And God commends them for that. And he goes on and he says in verse 3, You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So so here's a church. If you read in Acts, right from the get-go, they had people against them because of the, the strong cults and other things going on in Ephesus. But they had persevered. They had sound doctrine. They were doing great things. From the outside, it was a church that if you were to look at it, you would say, man, they, they got it going on. They're doing a lot of good things. Their doctrine is sound. It seems like they have great programs. You know, they, they've persevered through some hardships. And, and they're going well. You know, probably if you visited this church, probably most of the people who visit would, would maybe come back after that first visit because of the way things seemed to be. Their programs were well. What they were doing was good. Yet as we read on, Jesus says this in verse 4, Yet I hold this against you. Your doctrine is sound. The things you are doing are great. But I have this against you. He goes on to say, I have this against you. You have forsaken your first love. And in verse 5, the end of it, he says, If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. So he had said all these great things. Man, this sounds like a great church, but then he says, Here's the thing I have against you. You've forsaken your first love. You know, how many times can loving devotion to Christ be lost in the midst of active service? So many times people can be doing things, doing things, doing things, and thinking that they have it on track, but yet the love side just disappears. And is lost. And that's what Christ is challenging them with. But he's saying, you know what, if you don't return to this, I'm going to come and remove your lampstand. Or I'm going to remove your light. I'm going to remove your witness. You're no longer going to shine for me. Because you can have the doctrine right. You can have all that right. But if the love isn't there, I don't want you to be a witness for me. As I was looking at this and, and the whole reference to, to light and stuff, it, it brought me back to as I was growing up. And if you grew up in the church, there's a song you used to sing, This Little Light of Mine. How many of you guys sang that song? Yeah, quite a few. Um, I would sing it for you, but then they'd want me to sing every week. And, uh, you know, you guys, you guys would get kind of bored with that. Um, but, you know, a lot of the verses, you know, hide it under a bushel, no. You know, don't let Satan hit out. 
those types of things that, that we're going to shine it until Jesus comes because we're going to be a witness for him. And, and here Jesus is saying, you know what? You can have the sound doctrine and stuff, but if you don't have the love, I'm going to come and just take your light away from you. Because I would rather not have you witnessing for me than being the example that you are right now. And that's what he's saying to this church in Ephesus. He's saying, your doctrine is good, you've done great deeds, you've persevered, but your love is gone. And if you can't get back to that, then I don't want you shining for me. I'd rather have you not shining for me. Some pretty harsh words. Don't you think, but they're doing all these things so great. All this stuff looks good. But he's like, if there's no love, sorry. I'm going to come and remove your light. Because I don't want you witnessing for me if that's the kind of example you're going to be. Because that's not who I am. So, when we look at this then, we can look at this saying, go ahead and put that next slide up. If a church loses their love, they will lose their light. Right? So if a church loses their love, they will lose their light. Let's make it a little more personable. If First Alliance Church loses their love, they will lose their light. We can go even further than that. If a believer loses their love, they will lose their light. We can go further than that. If your name, no, okay, if Keith Dre loses his love, he will lose his light. Okay? I want you guys to make this personal. You're going to read it out loud. Don't say your name, all right? Put your actual name in there and read it out loud so you can hear yourself saying that. Go ahead. One, two, three. Did you guys even read the screen? Here's what I heard. If it just died, you know, and, and maybe, I don't know, maybe you don't want to actually say that out loud. Maybe it hits home because maybe you're struggling with that. You know, but, but that's when you look at this letter, man, if you lose your love, you lose your light. And, and we want to look a little bit at, okay, what, what is this first love? What, what is he talking about here? Okay, so he said if I, I, we need to get back to that. You know, I'm sure the, the Ephesians are kind of like, okay, he's saying we need to get back to our first love. What is our first love? And, and we as a church, if we're looking at this, okay, here's the warning he gave Ephesus. So we need to make sure we're doing this. So... He can't come to us and say, hey, you know what? I'm removing your light. You know, is it your love for God or is it your love for others? You know, there's been a lot of debate. If you you look at the commentary, some will say, well, it's just strictly love for God. Others will say it's just strictly love for others. Others will say um, it's a little bit of both. Um, To me, as I did all of my expansive studies yesterday on it um to me i feel it falls falls in the category of of both because your your love for others is going to flow out i think yes it starts with your love for god it has to start there 
Um, and that's going to flow out then and to your love for others. If we look at Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is, is, is talking here. Well, first his disciples ask him a question and they say, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Then he goes on to say, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So here's Jesus saying, here's the greatest commandment in the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Let me ask you guys a question. Is it possible to love God with all your heart and then despise those you worship with? Yes or no? No. So that's not possible. But yet, how many times do we, and I agree with you, how many times do we walk in here, we sing, you may even sing this morning, if you, if you sing the first song, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and we walk out those doors and stand in that hallway and we tear somebody apart. Or maybe we're sitting in the pew and we're looking across, and you see that person? They did this, this, and this. I can't stand them. But yet you're telling me you love the Lord your God with all your heart? Sorry. You guys just answered that question. It's not possible. So if you are struggling, if there's people that you just despise, then I would challenge you, where's your relationship with God? I would challenge you that you don't truly love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And that's what you can get back to because there's no way you can say, yes, I love him with all my heart and then walk out that door and tear somebody apart. It's just not possible. That doesn't exist. But yet we try to say it exists because we want to categorize everything, put everything in neat little compartments that this is my relationship with God. He's right here. But yet I can go out and tear somebody apart. And yet, I still love God with all my heart because I haven't affected that because it's over here. Where they're all intertwined. And you can't do that. They have to go together. But we try to rationalize so much and say that we can do that. And I'm not saying that you have to agree with what everybody says and what everyone does. Because we can disagree, but you can disagree in love. But yet there's so many times we throw the love part out and we're going to disagree with you and we're going to tear you apart. Until you finally say, okay, you're right. Or, you know what, this isn't worth it. And that's what Jesus is saying. You know what, your first love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Those things go together. Another question for you is, you know, do we sense the importance to Christ of not only honoring his name by our true confession? In other words, in saying, you know what, I believe that Christ is my savior and I'm one of his disciples. I'm going to follow him. Do we believe the importance of that, but also reflecting his life by our loving relationship to others? Do those go hand in hand with us? Do we believe it's important to say, I'm a disciple of Christ, I love him, and also I'm going to love others and show his love to others, or do we think those two things are separate? They need to be together. 
But yet we struggle with that. The church at Ephesus had gotten away from that. They were doing good things. They had sound doctrine. They were persevering through some difficult times. But they were doing it without love. And Jesus was saying, if you're doing this without love, it's not what I want. And if you're not careful, if you don't repent, if you don't change your ways and get back to it, then I'm going to remove your witness. When you look at this whole thing of, of doctrine and, and love, I think we can kind of view churches as, as two things. You have the one side, go ahead and show that picture, of police force, where, and, and some of this you, you need to have, and, and I'll explain in a second, but you have, a, have police force where someone goes against your doctrine, and, okay, you need to make sure it's right. The, the, the church at Ephesus was doing this, okay? If someone was saying something that was false, that was starting to say something that wasn't true, they were on it because they knew scripture, they knew doctrine, they knew, hey, this can't be in our church. And they were taking those people out. Okay? The other kind of church, go ahead and go back to, to go to the next one, is care, an ER room, where you're going to care for everybody, you're going to make sure that they get healthy, you're going to make sure that they're loved and cared for. And I think as churches, you can go to each extreme. You can go to this extreme where, you know what, we're not going to really um, worry about what you truly believe. We just want to make sure you feel loved. Or you can go to the other extreme where it's all about doctrine, and then that gets down into it goes past what the gospel is, and, and now you're dealing with things that have nothing to do whether or not you're going to heaven. Where you're starting to, to someone comes in and, you know, there's so many examples. Um, maybe I'll get letters with the examples I use. I don't know. But, you know, someone comes in and, you know what, the worship isn't what I'm like, so I'm going to just tear apart someone and handcuff them and, and try to get them arrested because this wasn't the style of worship I wanted. Or the coffee wasn't ready you know what, I'm going to tear someone apart because is that part of the, the true gospel? No. You know, but sometimes if we take our church to that strict side of just looking at doctrine or just being the police, then we start falling down into these secondary things. And we quit caring for people because all we're worrying about is if this is how it should look for me. And there needs to be that balance. We need to stay on guard with what is the gospel, but we also need to have that love and care for people. And that's how he's challenging this Ephesus church because he really feels they're starting to go the way of just the doctrine side. Saying you're, you're, the love is gone, guys. You're doing good things, but the love is gone. So what does that love look like? You know, we're, we're talking about we need to get back to that first love. What does it look like? And to me, I, I go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And uh, verses 1 through 3 first say this. It says, and this is showing the, the importance of having love. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. Do you guys get that? If you have the gift of prophecy, if you can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if you have a faith that can move mountains, but you don't have love, you're what? Nothing. If you walk through these doors and you know everything there is to know about this Bible, and you can teach it backwards and forwards, but you could care less about the people who sit in your Sunday school class, you're nothing. If you know everything about everything, some people act that way, but if you truly do, okay, and you know all about mystery, you know you can explain everything, you can prophesy, but if you don't have love, you're what? Nothing. Nothing. It goes on to say, If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. You can feel good about yourself maybe giving clothes to the city mission and things like that, but if you really care less about the people who are down there, you're not gaining anything. Love is an important process of our lives with Christ. Why? Because he showed us that love by dying on the cross. Like we've sang about, like Pastor Dave prayed about. He died on the cross to pay that penalty for your sins. That's why he's saying, that's, that's the center of this. I loved you, so you need to do the same. Love me and love others. 1 Corinthians 13 goes on to say, just describe, here's the love you should have. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. I think sometimes we take those and we make that into a list. And we can say, you know what, I'm, I'm patient, I'm kind, I don't envy, I don't boast, I'm not proud, I'm rude sometimes, um, uh, self-seeking once in a while, I get angry all the time, but, you know, I got four out of the seven, um, so, so I love, you know? And, and, and we try to rationalize this, but what this is saying is, you know what? This is what love needs to be. It needs to be all of these things together. Can you imagine if Christ in his love, he was all of this except he decided he was going to keep records of wrongs? What would that do for us? It would be pretty tough, wouldn't it? And yet this is saying, here's what you need to be. If you get back to that love, you're going to be patient. You're going to be kind. You're not going to envy. You're not going to boast. You're not going to keep any records of wrong. You're not going to get easily angered. You're not going to seek out things just for yourself. The end of that chapter, it says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest 
of these is love. I want to talk to you guys for a minute. Normally when you prepare a sermon, you have a little while um, to think about it, to think what you're going to say, and you go through, no, I'm not going to say that, or yeah, I need to say that, or no, I shouldn't say that. Um, I didn't have that. And, uh, and, and to be honest, I, I think, I don't think, I know, um, God did this this way for a reason. When I read through the letters to the churches in Revelation, to me, Ephesus is the closest to our church. That's to me. You may disagree as you read through, but to me, it's the closest to us. I know from since I've been here for 12 years, that sound doctrine, the gospel, has been preached from this pulpit It still is being preached from this pulpit, and it always will be preached from this pulpit. I know that's always going to happen. But I also know it seems like in the last six years or so, the love thing is going away. I can say that from personal experience by anonymous letters you get in your mailbox. And it's not just that they disagree with you which that's fine, but it's they tear apart you as a person. I'm not saying that for, oh, poor Pastor Keith. I'm saying that as an example. And as I walk through these hallways sometimes, you hear the things people say about other people. And yet you say you love the Lord your God with all your heart. No, you can't. There's no way. Because that's not, you can't tear apart somebody and and love God with all your heart because those two just won't exist. This church has done incredible things and I firmly believe this church is going to do incredible things. But I also firmly believe that as we go through this series, And as we hear God saying, yet this I have against you, or these things you need to watch out for, we need to take heed as a church, as individuals. Because if you look at these seven churches, do any of them exist today? No. Some of them tried for a while but they don't. Some of them, their entire city was wiped out. Not just the church. So to me, I even look at, okay, look at the importance we have on affecting the area that we live in for God. Now, I'm not saying that to make you think, man, tomorrow Christ is going to come and remove our light. But it's a warning. This is what I see. I hope you take that from someone who loves this church, who has been here for 12 years, and who only wants to see God do incredible things through this church. 
as we get back in to this letter in Revelation chapter 2, 5. What Jesus says, he says, Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. For the Ephesians, if you go to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 15, here's what's said about them. It says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for your remembering you in my prayers. So the beginning of Ephesians, they're saying, you know what, you have love for all of the saints, and I thank you for that, and I'm remembering you in all of my prayers. And then all of a sudden it gets to Revelation, and Jesus is saying, here's the one thing I have against you. You've forsaken your first love. And so he's saying you need to remember that. And it doesn't mean going to back to the way things were exactly six years ago. But he says, individually, you need to get back to what was it? It was your love for Christ. It was that relationship that you were sold out to that, that if you love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with your whole soul, with your whole mind, then you were naturally loving other people. And incredible things were happening. Because that's what you need to get back to. And yes, you're doing good things, but that's going to take you to a whole another level because without love, you are nothing. And he says that in Revelations, the second part of verse 5. If you don't repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I'd like to read you a, a quote from... Um, the commentary that on Revelation. That's I think it's in your worship folder if you're interested in doing deep, deeper study. But but here's what it says. It says some churches die from lack of outreach, lack of planning for the next generation, or lack of friendliness to visitors. Some churches, like the church in Ephesus, may risk simply killing themselves off by how they treat each other. Let me read that to you again. Some churches die from lack of outreach, lack of planning for the next generation, or lack of friendliness to visitors. Some churches, like the church in Ephesus, may risk simply killing themselves off by how they treat each other. In John 13, Jesus is talking to his disciples And he says this in verses 34 and 35. He says, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Let me read that last verse to you again. It says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Individually, at work, at home, in your neighborhood. Does your love prove that you're a disciple? Or do the people around you have no clue? As a church, does our love prove that we're disciples of God? Or when people walk into our door, do they have no clue? Do they walk into a place and, and they hear some of the stuff going on out in the hallway 
where they hear people saying things about other people and they're like, why would I want to be a part of this? I want to find a place where I'm just accepted for who I am and I'm loved. As you look at that, if First Alliance Church loses their love, they will lose their light. And again, you can make that personable. If you lose your love, you're going to lose your light. That's, that's our challenge as, as a church. As individuals, if we feel, I know as, as I looked into this deeper, man, I was challenged. Am I truly seeking the Lord with all of my heart? Do I truly show that love that's on in 1 Corinthians 13? Because I know, you know, you look at that and you say, man, that's not possible. I can't do all those things. I can't be kind all the time. I can't. And, but the thing is, if you're loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, He's your source for that kind of love. And that's going to just flow out of you. I'll be honest, there's been times, and I can honestly say not here, but there's been times in my life where I have prayed, Lord, you need to love this person through me because I honestly can't. And he's been able to do that because, yes, you're being open and you're seeking him, and there may be some people that, man, personality-wise, we just rub the wrong way. But I want to seek God and I want to love everyone like he is saying. So that's going to be my prayer. As a church, we need to get back to our first love. We need to get back to loving God with all of our hearts. Because I firmly believe we have great programs here. The doctrine is solid. What's preached is solid. And I'm not just saying that because I'm up here. And there's good things happening. But I also firmly believe that there's this undercurrent of getting away from loving each other. That if it goes unchecked, we could be going down a bad path. And it's up to us to change that. So I encourage you. Are you truly loving the Lord your God with all of your heart? And if you walk out those doors and tear someone apart, then I'm going to say, no, you're not. You can't have it both ways. So that's my challenge to us as individuals and also to us as a church. The last thing that I wanted, would want to see happen is that Christ would come and remove our light, that our witness would be gone to this community. We may still be here, but our witness would no longer be here. And I would not want to see that happen.